Hello, hello, and welcome to The Mental Matchup, a podcast where we talk about one of the hardest competitions an athlete can face, the matchup against their own mind. In today's episode, our guest is Case Boland, a former Division I volleyball athlete and current pre-med student at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. After an almost lifelong battle with an eating disorder and depression, other mental health struggles popped up and came to a head during her first collegiate season. Case was forced to take an 18-month-long medical leave of absence from school and retire from volleyball. Case now works at an eating disorder lab in D.C. During this episode, she reflects on her story of perseverance through hospitalizations, suicidal ideation, disordered eating, identity shifts, and the lessons she learned in the process. I'm excited to dive in, and I know that everyone is going to have so many great takeaways and learn a few things um, after listening. So with that, let's get right into the episode. Thank you so much for coming on to talk with me today. I think that your story has a lot of pieces that people will be able to relate to, but also some experiences that we definitely haven't covered so far in this podcast. And we also haven't covered, you know, we haven't spoken with any volleyball players. So I'm really excited to dive in. Um, Would you mind starting by giving a brief introduction of where you are in the world right now and what you're doing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. I am so honored and excited to be here. Um, and yeah, I'm just like super grateful that you've extended the platform to me. Um, so yeah, I am Case Boland. Um, I am currently a sophomore human science major on the pre-med track at Georgetown University in DC. Um, I'm here right now. I'm sitting in my little dorm looking at Dahlgren Chapel. Absolutely love it here. Um, and then I recently medically retired from the Division One volleyball team here um, after I really, really struggled with a restrictive type eating disorder um, and some associated comorbid mental health issues. So yeah, um, I was, you know, eventually starting on the team my freshman year um, and because I like tried to handle that all on my own um, and didn't quite seek the help early enough. Um, I, things really spiraled out of control and I ended up having to take an 18 month medical leave of absence from school and retire from sport. Um, And I'm doing so much better now. And I just have really been enjoying like sharing parts of my story um, in hopes that it'll kind of inspire other people to, you know, not make the same mistakes that I did. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you again for coming on and being open about your story. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that the more we talk and normalize these conversations, the more it'll help everyone. Um, Let's, let's dive, dive right into like beginning of case. So like back to growing up other sports that you may have played just kind of, you know, your role in your family, like whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. like what, what other sports did you play before volleyball? So I was a soccer player and a basketball player. Um, Volleyball didn't come into the picture until I was 15, but really like 16. Um, 
And yeah, my parents threw me in soccer when I was pretty little. Um, I have told Kat this story before, we were laughing about it earlier. Um, when I was little, little, you know, you're three years old, everyone's asking you what you want to be when you grow up. I used to tell people that I wanted to be a ballerina. Um, so my parents were like, all right, like, yeah, ballet classes, let's do it. And I refused. Um, and they definitely wanted me like in a sport or like some kind of organized activity and weren't quite on board with the whole like ballet with no ballet idea. So um, my dad grew up playing soccer and he ended up, you know, like they just signed me up for a little rec team. I feel like it's just also the sport that everyone plays when they're tiny. So um, yeah, I threw a temper tantrum the whole way there. And um, this is like my very first memory. I stepped out onto the field and I remember seeing my friend from preschool and kindergarten her name was kareen and we had the same socks on and so i'm like sobbing all puppy face and i turn around the back bumper of the car and i just like scream i go kareen we're wearing the same socks and i like ran onto the field and like that was really really it i mean my first rep team was like such a great group of girls so that's kind of like i think for almost every um you know kid on that team like we all just fall in love with sport and you know being with one another so like my childhood was a lot of um, you know, soccer with those girls, basketball with those girls, my first travel soccer team, I was a U8. And um, again, like a lot of those same girls. So always just like a really positive experience when I was, at least when I was like really, really little. Um, I would say like as far as my home life goes. So I was born in DC um, to my mom, my dad. I have one little brother, Xander, who is um, on the autism spectrum. So like cat. I'm sure we'll get into that later because I know you have a similar experience. Um, and we moved across the Potomac to actually the same county um, that Kat grew up in. And I would say like the theme throughout my childhood was like, I always knew that I was very, very loved, like no matter what, but things were incredibly chaotic. Um, my dad was an alcoholic and his marriage with my mom like I think they were just kind of fundamentally like incompatible um and then you know all of that's just complicated by the fact like my brother again is on the spectrum he's doing beautifully now he's at the University of Iowa um and just totally like killing it but he was nonverbal for a long time so like um yeah I was I think they're always like very very hectic and so I kind of like began to really lean into sport as I got older um because it was you know, constant and I could just like leave the house and go be a kid. Not that I couldn't be a kid at home. Um, but I like knew exactly what I was going to get every time I stepped like onto the field or onto the basketball court, which like wasn't necessarily the case at home. And so, um, especially like, you know, my parents got divorced when I was in second grade. That's when I started playing travel soccer, leaned into it a little bit more, still wasn't crazy serious Then sixth grade ish, like middle school. Um, my dad died when I was 12. So I would say that's when things got like crazy crazy and I, that's probably also when like my mental health struggles um really took off um that's like when I totally you know leaned full force into soccer started to get good at it I think I also just kind of like grew into my six foot tall frame a little bit at that point um yeah and I continued with that until I had um some really gnarly concussions like four compounding concussions that comprised a traumatic brain injury um when I was 13 turning 14 and then once I recovered from those, like two years later, um, I picked up volleyball because I was sophomore in high school. So yeah. I something that just stuck out to me um was 
and resonated also is you reflecting on the fact that like with the chaos of home and this is kind of I feel like a light bulb in my own head like that's why sports meant so much to you because like you always knew what you were gonna get like I I guess now like looking back like sports were always like an outlet for you know whatever like stress like all this stuff I guess like also looking back like I was kind of more of a high stress kid than I even realized um, right and high anxiety but that totally resonates with like I never knew what I was gonna get what kind of mood you know people in my house would be when I got home but I knew like going to practice like it was gonna look very routine for two and a half hours right and like even if the car ride there and the car ride back wasn't like actual practice itself or like I was I did I did ballet um wow that's (laughs) crazy that you like I feel like you're very intuitive um (laughs) something that you said that really stuck out to me in like prior conversations we've had that like I'll try to recap um but obviously feel free to elaborate was that you you recognized pretty early on that you were different than your classmates and your friends in the sense of like your emotional I don't know if stability is the right term but just like emotional awareness and like your feelings of feeling really sad even though like you said before I like I've always been very loved right Um, and I'd love for you to kind of speak speak on speak on that and then I also want to touch on because I have obviously two brothers on or maybe not obviously I have two brothers on the spectrum and I feel like it has impacted my life probably very similarly to yours so I'd love to hear about like tangentially like having a brother on the spectrum like how that forced you to kind of either mature quicker or what that was like for sure yeah so I mean like you um recapped like absolutely perfectly um I when I was probably I mean really for as long as I can remember like about as long as I've had a conscience like I kind of had an inkling that like oh like my peers you know my classmates my teammates etc like are kind of walking around like without a care in the world and like that's definitely not what's going on in my head like I I wouldn't call it depression super early on like I think you know, when I was that little, I definitely just like didn't have the awareness and like general intellect for it to be like a full-blown depressive type deal. Um, not to say that like kids that young can't, you know, experience like major mental health issues. Like that just wasn't part of my trajectory. Like I was kind of just like, you know, bopping around being a kid, but I think like my resting state was always, and this is like, so I'm currently diagnosed with major depressive and persistent depressive disorders. And so, um, you know, the major depressive disorder, that's like kind of more, you know, like what you, like more people are familiar with that one. It's, you know, uh, characterized like generally by like long spells, like depressive episodes. And then you kind of like return to, you know, a more neutral resting state. Like that's how a lot of people experience it at least. And um, with the persistent depressive disorder, which I feel like like not as many people are familiar with um like the way I describe that to people is like where most people's resting state is you know kind of a place of like neutrality like my resting state is pretty depressed like it's a pretty sad place and I feel like I if I'm not like actively you know being distracted or like something 
you know, huge is like kind of exciting me and pulling me away from that. Like I am, you know, just my, <laughs> it's like my endogenous, just this, just my resting state is the best way I know how to describe it. So I, yeah, I was able to like kind of put a finger on that pretty early on. Um, but at the same time, like what you know is what you know. Like I, my experience is kind of the only one that I was familiar with. So I had this like internal dialogue, like kind of going on at all times um, of, oh, like this really doesn't feel right. Like I think, you know, I am clinically depressed. I mean, I had a family history of mental health issues. I was like, oh, I kind of think like that's what this is. But then it was kind of counteracted by like, okay, even though I have like these really major family problems, et cetera, that my peers aren't dealing with, like I was also, you know, brought up in a relatively affluent household in like a wealthy suburb of DC, like just super privileged in that regard. I mean, like, you know, like I'm white, well off, like I, it just, it wasn't all quite clicking for me, but I did kind of have that inkling that like something was different. Um, and I don't think I like was able to put words to it for sure until I was again in middle school. Um, and then as far as, uh, Xander goes, Xander's my brother. Um, I think I was more aware of how that was impacting my life and it did impact my life more when I was younger, just because, um, Xander particularly like when he was nonverbal and like before, you know, he developed better emotional regulation skills, et cetera, et cetera. Like he just required a lot of hands-on attention all day. And like, um, because we were with one parent at a time, like from when I was like six, seven on, um, we, you know, there was only like so much of each parent to go around. And so Xander definitely like required a lot of that one parent's attention. So I, I mean, my parents were phenomenal. Like, I think they did like absolutely everything in their power to like make up for it. But um, yeah, I remember feeling a little frustrated at times just because like, you know, we would be, let's say like, we're going out for my birthday and uh, we're at a restaurant and it's chaotic and the lighting is weird and it's noisy and, you know, Xander has auditory issues. And so it's, he's in full sensory overload and like, he's having a meltdown. And then like the whole day becomes about like Xander intending to Zoom. Like now that I'm older, like one that just doesn't happen as often because he's made such tremendous strides. But um, two, I like, I definitely didn't have, again, I just like wasn't old enough at the time to fully understand like the extent to which he was, you know, like suffering and feeling so dysregulated. So I had a lot more resentment toward him, like for that, like for, you know, the time he took away um, in my parents, like, um, yeah. And I just, I feel like I spent a little bit more time like by myself in my own head, like handling things on my own. And I was also just like comparatively, like always, you know, the more mentally healthy kid, I guess, because Xander was struggling so much. And so, um, comparatively, like I probably never looked, you know, like there was anything wrong to my parents. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they handled it beautifully again, like Xander grew into the coolest kid. Like it was just an unfortunate reality of the situation. I think it would, you know, if anyone like hasn't grown up with, um, a sibling on the spectrum. And of course, like it is a spectrum. Everyone experiences it differently, but Xander had pretty significant like developmental delays, like was 
nonverbal until he was like five, six. Um, so it was kind of the same as like having, you know, when I was that age and we were really struggling with it, like a, a toddler who's like just become verbal, who's just learning how to regulate their emotions. Um, like just in terms of the energy and demand that it placed on my parents. So yeah, I, I totally relate. Um, that makes a lot of sense. So I guess going into moving into high school and, you know, I feel like with like, tell us about how you got into volleyball from, from soccer. That's something that we haven't touched on um, yeah. yet, which is a huge part. I feel like of your story. Oh, for sure it is. Um, so yeah, the concussions I sustained in eighth grade, I won't like get into like how each injury occurred just because, you know, you know, there were so many of them up one and two, like just for the sake of time. Um, but yeah, uh, they were brutal. Um, and I got the first one and then the second one I'd passed out, um, a couple weeks later, just like as a like as a repercussion of the initial concussion. Um, and at that point I was just like, so beyond down for the count. Like I, I think after the first one, like I knew right away that I had a concussion. Like when I opened my eyes in the field, I was like, Oh crap, like this is going to be bad. But I like had that, you know, that little firecracker athlete mentality of like, okay, this is going to absolutely suck. And I am going to muscle my way through it. And you know, like grind, 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 like do whatever my doctors tell me I can do to, you know, like speed this up. And then like, whatever I can't control, like, I'm just going to wait it out and everything's going to be fine. And I'm like, I was, I was just so motivated by like the idea of being back on the field. Um, especially because like at this point, like I had kind of made soccer, my entire identity, like it, that's like been a theme throughout my entire life is I just have a total tendency toward obsession um and so soccer was like kind of all every like it was all anyone knew about me um but that second injury um was bad enough that like I mean I it was pretty clear right away that I was never going to play soccer again um at least at the level that I had once played and that I was hoping to play in the future um and so (laughs) you know the recovery period that ensued was I mean I was sleeping 20 and 22 hours a day like couldn't keep anything down my eyes weren't like tracking together I couldn't like talk some days um you know once I was like able to walk around like if I was off balance I would like burst into tears it was just a whole mess and so uh coming into high school I had you know I think like in middle school, that's like when I really started to struggle with food, um, especially. And like, I had all of these aggravated mental health symptoms. And so I was kind of just like, all right, like I miss being an athlete. Like I need something to take up my time. You know, I'm never going to be as good at anything as I was at soccer. Not to say that I was like, you know, the absolute best soccer player in the world, but the plan was just like, oh, well, I'll just play JV volleyball. You know, it's non-contact. I'm not intentionally hitting the ball with my head, which in hindsight, like so silly, like volleyball is such so many opportunities for concussion. I was going to say, I feel like, yeah. Right. No, but I, I really didn't think that I would ever be playing at the level that I did. Um, and so I scheduled, I emailed a coach, my former coach, Lexi, who's like 
my whole world. I love that, that woman. She's like responsible for so much of at least the good parts of like the person I am today. And I was like, Hey, I have volleyball tryouts in like a week. I just got cleared from my concussions. Like I can barely like stand up and like walk in a straight line, but technically I'm cleared. Like we do three private lessons so I can maybe be on JV instead of the freshman team. And like, you know, I can kind of like make this my identity and like stumble my way through high school that way. Um, and she, I don't know. She liked that I was eager and six, one, six, two, of course, um, that helps. And, uh, I was, I would not call myself athletic, but, um, yeah, I think they knew I had played soccer at a high level. So she decided to take a chance on me. She and my first head coach Ross, who like, same thing, like those two, like are just two of like the best mentors I've ever had. Um, and they put me on my first club team, um, which was Virginia elite 16s team. Um, and that was an open level JBA team. It was like traveling all around the world with girls or, or all around the country, excuse me, with girls who, you know, at 16, like volleyball at the time, like pre-recruiting rule changes, volleyball recruits early, especially for the position I played. Um, I'm a middle and middles and setters tend to at the division one level, like commit pretty early. And so, you know, I'm with a bunch of girls who are already like well into the recruiting processes, like have offers on the table and I never touched a ball. So I just like got knocked around, like totally got my butt kicked for like a year and a half. Um, but I like was regularly going in for extra reps. Like I just, again, like got really insane about it. Like I kind of had an opportunity to make that my identity all over again. Um, and like arguably in a more extreme way because it was taking up even more of my time. Um, and I loved it. And I think like at the time, you know, that's not like, that's never the healthiest way to do things, but like I kind of needed that, like I needed something drastic, um, at the time to like really throw all my energy into and like keep me here. I mean, like give me a reason to just like keep getting through the days and that's what volleyball gave me. Um, yeah. And I was just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So then with recruiting, I know that you've mentioned like before with me that you, with making it your identity, like you did want to play at the next level and you wanted to make sure that if anything went wrong, it wasn't because of something in your control. Could you talk more about like that concept and then maybe get into, you know, back half of high school, where your mental health was, how you were feeling, Right. Um, And all of that. Yeah. So I think that kind of stemmed from a place of uh, early, early on, like when my club coaches had first offered me that spot, I was kind of like, what are you doing? Like, are you okay? I mean, they had let another girl go um, and they could have chosen like an array of highly qualified like far more athletic talented experienced middles and they ended up like throwing me on the team I was like what is wrong with y'all like I will never play in college like I'm just not these girls um and they were like oh no 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 no! like shut up we've seen it happen like you can totally play in college um and I just had so little faith in myself like that did not make sense to me especially because I was coming from a sport where like basically everyone starts out when they're like two three four five years old so um and volleyball is not like that. Like people pick up the game a little bit later, but still I was like, this, I don't understand how this is possible. Like, um, but I also, you know, they had told me about another 
athlete or two other athletes, actually Simone Antwi and Simone Jeffries, who had played for my club and gone to um, Florida and NC state respectively. And they started playing at like 16, 17 and were phenomenal volleyball players, like far better volleyball players than I ever was. Um, and so I was like, huh, like, I guess you guys aren't lying, but like this still doesn't make sense. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to like train for this full force and like I need to know at the end of the day like that if this doesn't happen it wasn't because I didn't work enough but like and like then if it doesn't happen at that point then like everything will be fine because I didn't think like to begin with that like this was a realistic goal you know <laughs> like I'm just gonna like give this everything I have and then you know and like kind of I guess I felt pretty indebted to my club and my coaches for like taking the chance on me and so I was like okay like I'm gonna honor this commitment I made like I would love to play in college like I'm going to give this everything I have and then if you know that's not enough then I'll know that it like wasn't really realistic to begin with and like this just like that's a reality I can live with whereas I could have like it was maybe it was possible like that I think would have driven me crazy so I got really just obsessive and (laughs) like it was it was definitely unhealthy I was like ridiculously hard on myself and not in a way that like bettered my performance by any means I mean my coaches had to like pull me into this office at um the boarding school retrained and they were like dude like stop you know like pouting at yourself like it's not cute it doesn't it's not helping your performance like it's not helping your teammates like get over yourself like there was a lot of that happening um yeah so it it took me a while but I got there um and eventually like committed to Georgetown, um, which I was my school. Um, and, or at least one of them. Um, so that did work out for me, but I could have done it in a much more healthy way. Um, and yeah, like going back into, you know, mental health issues in high school, part of what those perfectionistic tendencies looked like for me, um, was a micromanaging of, my diet and my weight and you know like tracking I have a calendar still like um I keep it because I'm like oh my god I can't believe I did this this is crazy I like basically from the first season I started playing I had a little calendar where I would track every single you know like activity related like anything that could remotely be considered like training for volleyball or even like you know, advantageous, like as an athlete, like any lifting, running, walks, I mean, like, so I track like the paddleboarding, like everything got tracked so that I knew like I was never taking a day fully off. Like it was just nuts. And so, um, and a lot of that was about like micromanaging my weight. And then, um, I had started tracking or at least like becoming aware of my, of macros. Like when I was in sixth seventh grade I would say and that started like as a very you know like benign attempt to kind of you know like tighten up my performance I think like being as tall as I am like it got hard seeing even though I was like pretty fast like there were so many like really tiny girls around me just because people aren't this tall as like in soccer and so I was like oh you know maybe if I'm like tiny I can you know be faster like I don't I wanted to be leaner. Like I can get up higher on headers, like, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that transferred pretty naturally to volleyball because then it was like a pretty clear, okay, like we're doing 
approach touch testing, like middle is a position where, you know, your, your approach touch is like incredibly important. Like I need to be as lean as possible so that I can jump as high as possible so that I can be faster to close the block, like just little things like that. Um, and so, yeah, I really, really, really spiraled into like tracking, micromanaging everything. Um, and it, but a disaster. I was so stressed at all times. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, I get it from yeah. one point of view. Like, I know in my calendar in college, I would have like, you know, lift days and I'd be like, okay, this, 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 XYZ, right. so that I was just like tracking it every day and trying to see, like, okay, right. if I'm more tired on this day, is it because we lifted, you know, twice a week or whatever? Yeah. But I can't imagine the mindset of not taking a day off like I feel like yeah. my my days off um in college were like the holy grail you know what right. I mean like they, no they that's how it like, should be I was like I just want to be a couch potato I literally want to be as one in this couch so I yeah. cannot Im- imagine like where you were at in like just your trip just like your mental headspace where it must have been at if like that was that what you were doing um yeah and it's hard like oh sorry (laughs) no you go you go yeah literally the day I got my wisdom teeth out when I was going into my junior year like I of course they're like you should not be doing much of anything like strange little girl like why are you asking us about exercise today and I knew like that I wasn't gonna be able to work out and that I was gonna be drugged up afterwards so I got up super early that morning to train and then afterwards like with a mouth like full of blood and cotton I like went outside and was like hitting balls against the wall like on the side of my house and then like went for a run on the treadmill like when I say like no days off because I'm I mean now I'm totally with you like that's so important for you know not just physically for your muscles to recover but like mentally so crucial like your, your relationship with sport gets like so it's horrible. Like if, if you're not taking any time off and I, yeah, when I say no days off, like I, it was bad. Like Christmas, it, all of it. <laughs> um, so yeah. It was and it's like mess. this, I feel like the shame too, of like not taking it. Yeah. Or, yeah. Of like being like, Oh, I can't take it. I can't take it. Or else you like feel t- right. it's like a spiral. Um, right. So going from the obsessive training, let's dive into like the nitty gritties of Georgetown you college oh yeah you're a freshman you're coming in where's your mental headspace are you kind of like I'm gonna learn for the next two years and then I'll get my spot like what what was that like and just like kind of guide us through I guess those first few months at school I know there's a lot there but yeah um, yeah um I mean I think like by the time I got to college I was honestly just so fried from what I had been doing at home um especially because I committed like so late in my senior year um I was I was burnt out and I mean all of my club coaches my teammates like teachers at school like everyone kind of cautioned me like hey this is what's going to happen if like you keep acting like this like what are you doing um and I was like no 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 like this is what needs to happen um and yeah I would say like when I committed to Georgetown um I had a very similar mindset to you know the mindset I approached my first years of club with which was 
there are girls playing on this team who, you know, have earned their spots here, who have been playing club like close to their entire lives, who are just like far more complete, like well-rounded volleyball players than I am. Um, and I am here, you know, because my coach has this belief in like my potential, like he's investing in me, like agreeing to put in, you know, this, this work, like in hopes that he gets the ROI and that's going to take like a lot of extra work on my part. Like I have to honor my end of this incredible commitment, like, because essentially like I felt that he was doing me a favor, um, which I know not. I mean, I was not the volleyball player that like my teammates were. And I was recruited like largely as a result of, you know, just cause he thought like I had potential and because I was new to the game, but you know, I was still like a, a solid volleyball player. I mean, I was, I played in our first matches. Like I was, I started in, you know, most of the games that I was like healthy enough to play in. Um, so it was just so ridiculous, but I think, you know, without like going too far into detail about like what this looked like, um, I think like he really reinforced, you know, all of those beliefs I came in with, like those, like, oh, I have to put in more work. Like I have to do extra, da, 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 da. So we were already training this insane preseason schedule that, I mean, like we were having like seven, eight hour days. Like it was, it was nuts. Um, and I was getting up early and staying up late to like train on top of that. Um, and I, like, I knew that my body was just absolutely falling apart and then I felt miserable and that I was super duper stressed, but like, it just, I was just like, I, you know, if this doesn't go well, like I, I can't, I, you know, if it's, if I could have done more, like I, I, I can't do that to my coach. I can't do that to my teammates. Like, and the sick thing is like, and this is kind of a theme throughout the entirety of my volleyball career. Like I was always getting the results out of like the training because just because I was so new, like, of course you're going to improve quickly at something, you know, you're relatively new to. So like, yes, I was getting better at volleyball and that kind of like gave me the green light to keep training and beating my body up the way that I was. Um, but you know, it was, it's, it, it very clearly was not sustainable, like from the outside. And I, I was so sure that like, Oh, the only reason I'm getting better this quickly is because I'm training this way. Like, no, my body was barely hanging on. And it was because I was new to the sport, like relatively athletic. And like, I was pretty intentional when I was training. So when, when you were training and you might not even know the answer, like what, what was the end goal with it? Was it just to get us, like, what was like your motivating factor of putting your, because I feel like at some point, correct me if I'm wrong, at some point you kind of wake up and you realize like, I feel like shit, I can't go hang out with my friends because I'm so stressed about, you know, not going to work out. And I feel like for a lot of people, some of it comes down to like, I am not seeing the results. Like this isn't yeah. working. They get really frustrated and then they're like, okay, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to do less and see if right. like focusing elsewhere shows results where I really want them to be. Mm-hmm. Like what, what was that motivating kind of gold star light at the end of the tunnel that you were chasing after that you feel like you was like the main driver or was there any, like that's, I feel like I'm so interested to know. Yeah. You looking back. Um, so yeah, it, there wasn't a lot of logic to it 
toward the end. I think at the beginning, like I, cause I did come into preseason in a funk. Like I first day, you know, when I wasn't necessarily fatigued, like I, the last club practice I ever played, I played incredibly well. Like it was very exciting to me because I was always so in my head that like very rarely did I play, you know, at my, you know, max capacity. Um, and so I was feeling super good. Like, I'm like, okay, like this was a great reminder of like the volleyball player. I, you know, am capable of being, and I get to preseason and I'm so freaked out, especially because I was like switching positions. Like, you know, there, there's a lot to be nervous about, of course, like people expect that you'll be a little freaked out, but I, you know, took it to the next level and then like immediately like was not playing well, like right off the bat. Um, and in, you know, like, because it was mental, like it was, it was a lot of little things, like little mistakes that, you know, were pretty like instantly fixed, like mental fixes. Like I, for example, um, my hand contact was super duper weird on all of my swings, which, you know, in volleyball, like it's, you just get a lot of reps and it's like this very fluid thing. Like your hand just like a good hand contact is, it's a great feeling. And like, it should come pretty naturally at the division one level. And I was like, just waffling these balls. And so, you know, generally like the fix for that is just, you know, like grabbing a ball, like getting on the wall and just tweaking your hand contact until like, you know, you get that like good pop back on the ball and like, everything's fine. Like it theoretically, these all should have been quick fixes, you know, with a ball on the wall. So I, um, yeah, because I knew like I, I was capable of fixing like a lot of these things. I would just drive myself crazy, like in the gym, like on, you know, on the wall. And then when that wasn't working, I was thinking like, okay, maybe it's because I'm not getting up high enough. Like maybe I need to do more vert training and, you know, like recomp my body a little bit. So I'd be like running and it was just, I kind of became like a little detective, like trying to figure it all out. And then like at a certain point, um, I won't go like too much into the neurobio. Um, I was so stressed and severely malnourished because I was like attempting to lose weight while all of this was going on. Um, that, I mean, logic really goes out the window at a certain point, like you just become like, I mean, in a restrictive type eating disorder, the cognitive rigidity is so, so, so real. And like, you have this insane, you know, there's this like element of confirmation bias, like, I guess you could call it where like, I, you know, on any given day, like I could have pulled it like anything and found ways to justify my like disordered eating and exercise patterns. Like it just, it was a mess. Like I, it's, it didn't make any sense. There was no logic to it is like really the answer to your question, but like, I, this is kind of what I like wanted to get into just like for people listening, because I think when, you know, you have friends or family members who might be going through disordered eating or you know depression or anxiety from the outside it's so easy to be like oh well logically like you know it's actually not the end of the world like this is the only consequence (laughs) of the right like it's very easy to be like you're being silly but I think that like exactly what you just said like it's not logical like we can we can explain it with the chemicals in our brain and uh, like we can explain it with the science I feel like to a certain extent but when it comes to like being rational and saying like oh we'll just think through it like no yeah like um so I think for anyone who's listening who might be listening to figure out like how to you know support people like just understanding that like it's not necessarily out of their control but they're 
they're not able to think through it logically like you are from the outside right. perspective. Um, yeah, it is, but it then, isn't. Like I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 I, I was going to jump so you can finish your thought. I was going to jump okay. to a different topic. Yeah, so I, like, just to, like, cap it off, I feel like that's, you know, for anyone who hasn't struggled with their mental health before, like, that's such a, you know, difficult concept to grasp, which I totally understand. Like, I think, you know, before I was really, like, in the depths of it, I would have been like, what the heck? Like, this doesn't really make any sense to me. But like the best, the way I like, I always explain it to people is that your brain is wired to keep you alive, like rather than happy. It's, it's wired to keep you like alive in this very moment. And like, it doesn't have, you know, a very solid grasp of like delayed gratification, et cetera. And so when your neurotransmitters are all out of whack, like, you know, the things like in your mid and hind brain, like your it's basically wired to like override everything happening in your frontal lobe, et cetera. Like, because you have these major needs that aren't being met. And so like, if you want to use like the example of depression um, and people having difficulty with like executive function, like task activation, like at a certain point when your neurotransmitters are that out of whack, like it is so real, like people literally cannot get themselves, you know, to, get out of bed, like perform a task, et cetera. Um, yeah. So I'm really glad you touched on that cat and like drove that home. Like it's, it sounds a little wild if you haven't experienced it, but like, it is so, so, so real. Well, it's, it's not like it's something that we were taught in FLE. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I feel yeah. like it's like when you're taught something from a young age, like you retain, like I, right. I mean, obviously the specifics of things in elementary school probably don't, don't necessarily remember but those are the foundational building blocks of like everything you learn later on um yeah but I would love to touch on your disordered eating and Mm. ultimately leading into retirement um yeah if you want to kind of take us through I know that we we full disclosure everyone Case and I talked before this episode but she has a really interesting story of like a study I definitely want to talk about like the lab tests because that to me was like crazy oh like my neuropsych and everything yeah um so oof um I my season ended uh very abruptly toward the end of the season like mid to end of the season um where my brain like I had such and I was under like so much physiological stress basically from you know the overtraining and the under eating and I was, you know, just like running all the time. Um, and then like, I was a Georgetown student athlete. I was doing poorly as an athlete. And then school was also slipping because like my brain was all over the place. So I had this really horrific, like stress induced headache condition. Um, and, uh, I, the pain was like quite literally so bad that I, would throw up just all the time, like purely because the pain was that bad. I would then like pass out all the time, um, which was a combination of, you know, like being exhausted and malnourished and then like autonomic nervous system dysfunction. Um, it's just horrific. And point is like, by the time that, you know, I got pulled out of everything and, um, I had this neuropsych at children's, they thought that I had brain damage as a result of some concussions I had during the season because I pulled up to this appointment and I literally could not recall like my own home address, my own phone number, like 
my brain was so stressed that it completely shut off. So like, as you can imagine, I'm again, I'm a pre-med, like chemistry at Georgetown was not happening. It just, it wasn't. Um, yeah. So I go into this neuropsych and they are conducting all these tests. They have a PhD student who's actually like, you know, manning the test, like going through things with me. And then eventually like one by one, um, you know, her like presiding physicians, like they start kind of pouring into the room and everyone's super confused because I'm doing horribly on all of my little neuropsych tests. Like results are atrocious, but, um, everything was just like super inconsistent. Like there wasn't a pattern. It's not like, you know, she's doing poorly on, you know, like active recall specifically. Like I was just, I was just a disaster all over the board. And then finally the PhD student who's running these tests, she, um, cause it was a long day. I, like, I guess she got out a snack to, you know, have in between tests that we were running and she puts a nature Valley granola bar, like down on the table and all of my scores just tank like immediately. And so then it was kind of like, is this a result of like how I move? Like, is she, is she afraid that I'm going to like hurt her? And then they were kind of like, oh, we know that you have like you have some disordered eating charted like this it's the granola bar like the, you're scared of this nature valley granola bar like um and that was you know a very clear connection of the dots for them that oh my god she has so much anxiety around food in her body that you know like this just like <laughs> set her off like absolutely to the moon um it's all stress and a terrible restrictive type eating disorder and it didn't like appear to be as bad as it was at the time because I kept things like relatively in check because I was still, you know, an athlete at Georgetown and I had a responsibility to continue putting muscle on and caring for my body. So like, yeah, it was just, I, you know, my, it, my eating disorder definitely did not look the way it did when I was in early high school um, and super duper sick. And like, I was kind of masking that all as post-concussion, but um. Yeah. So that's kind of when we knew. Um, and then I started getting, you know, I started seeing a, an eating disorder specialized psychologist who, I mean, to this day, like I work with her, she is the single, like most brilliant woman I think I've ever met. I absolutely adore her. Um, and that was great, but it was a little bit too late. I think I was still like so deeply entrenched in, you know, all of those like really destructive thought patterns. And again, like I was kind of at the point where it didn't matter, like how badly I wanted it, like everything going on with my frontal lobe, I think. And that's not to say, you know, I don't want to like disempower anyone with that. Like it's, you know, you, you, it was still my brain. Like I still had control to some extent, but um, yeah, at the same time, like I was not physically stable and I needed people to step in. So Georgetown ended up having to be like, and this was my spring semester, they were like, kid, if you don't go to inpatient treatment, like you can't come back. Um, like we just like, we're worried that we're going to find you dead in your dorm room. And like, we can't have that. You're just a liability at this point. Um, like we can't have you like running to the hospital and the student health all the time. Like this just can't happen. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And they're like, yeah, you're, you're not a Georgetown student until you figure this out. So, um, I went to McCallum for six months. Um, McCallum is the residential treatment program I 
was in and it was not like a six month stay. It was, that was incredibly misleading. It was, I went twice over a period of six months um, and figured some things out, but that really was not what did it for me because I feel like when I went to McCallum, I, I don't know, I, I was there because Georgetown made me go and because I wanted to get better for my teammates um, and to be an athlete again. Um, but because of the just heart, liver, kidney, et cetera, damage that I had sustained, like I have such a like terrifying, you know, it's just, it's like I can get rhabdo so easily now. And that's rhabdomyolysis. It's a progressive like muscle breakdown condition. Um, there was, there was no going back to volleyball and I like didn't quite know that at first. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, none of it was sustainable or like true recovery and it, because like, it was all just, I was recovering like for case the volleyball player and like case the volleyball player had died like long before that essentially. Um, and so that's kind of when we trickled into like retirement. Um, and you know, that addition of the case Boland losing sport identity foreclosure, um, trauma um with McCallum was there any kind of like shame in going like I know Georgetown kind of made you go but did you tell anyone you were going yeah um I told everyone actually um and that it didn't start as my choice necessarily and I can't really like get into all of this but um, I was required to tell like a, basically like I had a choice between either like keeping it a complete secret, not even telling like my best, best, best friends or, um, like announcing it and having it readily available to the media. Um, and so that's what I ended up doing, but, um, I was okay with that because the only reason that I you know, was kind of like, okay, we're doing this. Like I'm going to treatment, um, was there is a swimmer who lives pretty close by to both Kat and I. Um, and she's now like one of my best friends who had done the victory program for athletes at McCallum just like a couple months before she discharged, like in the cycle, like right before I admitted. Um, and she posted when she was leaving and, she was kind of like, Hey, here's the deal. Like, this is what I've been struggling with. I'm headed off a treatment. Um, this, you know, one in three to one in four female athletes are going through this. And like, this is real and it's a real thing that happens. And like, we need to be talking about it more often. And that for me was kind of like, Oh my gosh, like this isn't just something that happens in the movies. Cause I mean, like you hear residential and you think like, Oh my gosh, like total psych ward level. I like, it's, I, had no idea what to expect. It just is not something I had ever kind of mapped out for my life's trajectory. And so it it really was like never real to me. And I was not making those intake calls. I don't know. It just seeing Cass, who was like, this is a real person who lives right next to my house. Like, I was like, okay, like I can, I can get through this. Like real people do this and come out of it and I'm going to be okay. Like Cassie was okay. So it's I felt true, really though. About, like it just takes like yeah. one person to open the door. You know what oh I mean? Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm glad that you were because I think there is such a stigma and like shame and like, oh, they're going to the psych ward, right? Or like, oh, they're yeah. it's like 
yeah it's like you can't control to a certain extent the chemicals in your brain like and people I think it's so courageous when people like are able to make that decision whether like slightly forced slightly not forced like I think at the end of the day everyone I've talked to has gone to some kind of program has come out and has like you know the program sometimes might not have necessarily been the thing that like helped the most but like whatever came next was you know like I feel like it's like a very good it's like going to get help right like help from people who can actually help (laughs) or lead you to the people who can give you help um right yeah that's amazing I I kind of want to get into like last topic of like finding your identity post volleyball so yeah. you kind of mentioned you you were doing this for a volleyball case to get back, get back out there and like, you know, for your teammates and whatnot. Um, so like what was what was like that like afterwards when you realized that there might not be any volleyball? Uh ooh, yeah. Um, I mean, it was such a slow process. Like I was in denial for such a long time. Um, and that's just like part of that is is it's so inherent like to most people's eating disorders is the whole like oh you're not nearly as sick as you actually are like your brain is so you know convinced that you're not sick enough like you you know should be thinner like whatever it is like I so just as I felt like I wasn't thin enough necessarily like I thought I all around the board like was not sick enough not nearly as sick as my doctors were making me out to be Um, and so I had like 10 different people tell me, I think that I would never play volleyball again before I kind of realized like, oh yeah, I'm never going to play volleyball again. Um, and it, I mean, like, I kind of hate that it was like so long and drawn out because it was painful that entire time. Um, but at the same time, like there was never, it was never like one aha moment of like, oh crap. Like I, you know, I'm gonna lose the sport like my last match was my last match um and so yeah I was able to process that for a long time while in treatment um and it ended up being okay I think like the biggest slap in the face with it all was on move-in day for our girls I you know came I wanted to be a part of the team I think like I at that point I was like and my my coach um, my new coach knew all of this. I was like, all right, David, like I've had some doctors tell me I'm never going to play again, but like, that's not happening. Like I'm going to make it work. I'm coming to move in day. Like I can't play this fall, but we're going to work through this. Like it's going to be fine. Um, and all the girls moved in and then I was not moving in. Of course I wasn't able to play and I went home and they had, you know, like preseason activities to tend to for the rest of the day. And I couldn't be there because of COVID. And I was kind of like, oh crap like I not only need to find something with which to fill you know all of my time um but all of you know these girls are going to be like volleyball owns them for the remainder of the semester because we're a fall sport like all of my friends my support staff like everything was tied up in volleyball and I had this like really terrifying just oh my gosh like I need to rebuild all of that and rebuilding all of that requires me to let go of like, you know, I need to stop like trying to, you know, 
schedule coffee, et cetera, with my teammates, like while they're in season and having to like push me off all the time just because they're so busy. Like I needed to like put that down, like cut it off and like go venture out, make new friends. And so, I mean, thankfully my, my roommate is a softball player and like she and I are pretty inseparable. Um, and so she's been like super duper great. And just like, I, you know, I'll like tag along with her some days and I have like amazing friends in my classes. And so it came together like pretty naturally. Like I made new friends and like established a new little village pretty quickly. Um, just because I, I mean, Georgetown's like the people here have just been phenomenal to me. Um, but yeah, I, I think like as far as, (laughs) you know, reforming the rest of my identity goes, like I am not totally there with, you know, I, I still think people, you know, kind of like recognize me at least on campus, like as the, you know, case of volleyball player, like I'm still definitely like affiliated with some of those girls. And I only very recently, like formally announced that I had medically retired. Um, so I'm like working on that, like trying to break that. Um, but yeah, I think school is really helpful because it, I've been able to just like throw myself into medicine and psych. Um, I'm hoping to be a psychiatrist when I'm older. So I've been like kind of just devoting like all of that, you know, like mental energy and I guess like identity to that and like just getting excited about being a doctor, um, which is great because like, I mean, that requires so much of my energy. It's competitive. Like, so it's, it's working out. Okay. But I feel like just everyone in their twenties, like no one really knows (laughs) exactly what the pieces are that comprise their identity and everyone's like kind of stumbling around trying to figure that out it's supposed to be disorienting and messy and that's like where I am and I instead of like fighting it and like making myself anxious like trying to combat it I just kind of like learned like okay this is where I am this is kind of exactly where I'm supposed to be and I'm just gonna like sit in it and let it take me wherever it takes me and my job right now is to just like be a really good person and get good grades and like that's where my energy is going and I have been able to be pretty content with that so we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back with Case in a second We'd like to take a moment to talk about Morgan's Message, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Morgan's Message is a nonprofit that was founded in 2020 to honor Morgan Rogers. Through amplifying stories, resources, and expertise to confront student-athlete mental health, Morgan's Message is building a community by and for athletes and providing a platform for advocacy. Morgan's Message strives to eliminate the stigma surrounding mental health within the student-athlete community and equalize the treatment of physical and mental health in athletics. To help us take a shot at mental health, to support our mission, or to find out more, head to morgansmessage.org or follow along on Instagram at morgansmessage. And with that, let's get back to Case. I love that. I love all of that. (laughs) I think that it's easy to kind of get into not like necessarily putting yourself in a box, but like, Oh, if I'm this, I can't also be that. But like identity, I think to a certain extent is dynamic in that as you learn information and you go through different life experiences, like things can change. Like I look back, Mm -hmm. like 
even on pictures, right, that, like, bring up memories from, like, 10 years ago or even in college where I cringe and I'm, like, oh, like, why did I do that? (laughs) And I know the only reason I'm cringing is because I've grown and because the person I am now, like, wouldn't do that because I learned from, you know, that experience or experience later. And I think that that's so important to keep in mind is, like, we are human beings. We are so imperfect, like, Right. To the highest extent, like everyone who's a human being is going to make a mistake. Like people you have up on that pedestal, like they're making mistakes every single day. Yeah. Um, and that it's and important th- to like keep in mind and be like so graceful with yourself when you do make the mistakes and not. Yeah. And even embrace like the identity changes. Right. Like it's like I think there's only there's only one of each of us and like our body, our mind, like those are ours. They're no one else's and we can't get rid of them. Like we're stuck with them. Right. For like, however long we're, we're on this earth and kind of fully embracing that is like the best thing we can do. Um, Yeah. But I feel like I'd love to go into some closing questions if you're down. Oh my gosh. Yeah, of course. Amazing. Okay. First question is um what what are some pieces of advice you would say to to others in terms of like how to find your joy in things when you know something that you're so hyper focused on isn't working out oof that is a tough one um huh um okay so I think like when I you know, kind of like came to terms with the fact, like, okay, volleyball is out of the picture. I was so quick to be kind of like, oh my gosh, what is going to be my new identity? Like, what is, what's the next volleyball essentially? Like it was soccer and then it was volleyball. Like what's the next volleyball? Um, and that's just not healthy. Like I think, you know, a more succinct <laughs> answer to your question is like, you are not the things you do. Like I'm case, I am not volleyball nor am I soccer nor am I medicine and like I ended up having to like take a huge step back and realize like there there's no need to like find a replacement thing necessarily like it is okay to be in this gray space and like not know what I'm doing and I think um one of the best things I ever did for myself was I was listening to a Brene Brown book um and she advise that like listeners make a list of what their lives look like if they're not in a good place like make a list of what your life looks like when you're feeling good when things are going well like including the little things and so for me that was like you know having time throughout the day to talk to Kira and Jordan who are my two best friends and then like you know having time to do my nighttime skincare routine which is you know fun for me and getting to walk Logan my dog every day and like eating three meals and three snacks a day and so just like really stripping it down and, you know, having that to look to and like getting back to the basics of like, okay, what is, what do my days look like when, when I'm feeling good and things are going well? Like I kind of just really strip things down and like focus on little things and um, just was more intentional about like being where my feet were. Um, Yeah. And that kind of pulled me out of it and made, I guess the gray a little bit more tolerable and like the idea not necessarily like, striving towards something at all times you know I love that um writing a note because <laughs> I'm I think I need to incorporate some of that yeah um next question is if you could go back in time 
and like tell yourself one thing while you were going through whatever you want to deem is like the hardest part of what you've gone through like what mm-hmm. would that advice be oh hands down that I was sick like I was sick enough um just that I was sick in general um because again treatment and receiving help I mean it's it's so highly stigmatized and like especially like given the media portrayal like if you're not familiar with like the inpatient treatment scape, you know, you kind of think like, oh my gosh, if, you know, people who go to treatment are like, they're all young, white, anorexic women who are like absolutely emaciated on their deathbeds. Like they all do ballet or run like, and that's just so not how it is. Like the, and all inpatient treatment environments really, and this doesn't just go for inpatient. Like if you have a, desire to better yourself and you have you know disordered eating habits of any kind that are like an impediment to your daily life that like you would be functioning more optimally like if they were addressed like you both deserve and like need to be in treatment you know like there is no there is no bar or standard for like sick enough not sick enough and your eating disorder is wired to like never be satisfied and like I think I'm also wired that way as you know, an athlete, someone who's very like type A, like someone who does love that striving so much, like I was never satisfied. Like I was, I never felt that I was like sick enough. I was never like thin enough to get treatment. Um, this was never enough of a problem for me to talk to someone about it. And that's so not the case. Like by the time that you have broken through that internalized stigma enough to be like, Hey, I think I might want to talk to someone about this, or this might be a problem or I might need treatment. Like I promise you it is, it is a problem. Um, and you absolutely think, like, should act on that. Yeah. yeah. Like you, you know, your body best and like, you right. know yourself best. And if you even have like an inkling, like you have to take that first mm-hmm. step. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I even get caught up in like listening to other people, right? Like we want validation. We want other people to tell us things that we want to hear or like don't right. want to hear. And yeah. like, really it comes down to like you trusting yourself and trusting that like, okay, um, this is like a real thing, but yeah. last question. What Alrighty. are you most grateful for? Oh my gosh. I love this one. Um, given the timing, we are recording this a couple of days after Thanksgiving. Um, oof. I, I mean, like I, the, the list is just like too long. I definitely don't have a number one, but I think like, um, just on this topic, I, am particularly grateful in this stage of my life for the support system that has like kind of pulled me through all of this. Um, so, I mean, that's everyone from my clinicians to like friends at home. My teammates have been incredibly supportive. Like, I mean, the network is just so big. I'm like my Dean, my boss, her boss, like everyone, I've definitely created this little village. I think just by being so open about my story, like everyone has really like pitched in to just make this as easy and as doable as it can possibly be. Um, and then tied with that, I would say, um, my health, which, you know, sounds kind of crazy because like my health is not in a good place necessarily as a result of my eating disorder. Um, like I'm still struggling with gastroparesis and like a lot of, you know, the repercussions, like you know, cardiac repercussions, et cetera, of my eating disorder, but, um, and I will never play volleyball again, but like, 
things are kind of slowly coming back and I'm like grateful that I had the intervention when I did and that it didn't get any worse because like they're absolutely, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately I learned the hard way that there is a point of no return. Um, and I kind of like experienced that in sport, but like, it could have been a lot more finite and, you know, just like, it definitely could have been worse than it was. So I'm just like really grateful to be here and that I got through it. Um, in that regard, like physically that my body has been as resilient as it has been and that it has taken such good care of me. Like even when I haven't been as good to it as I should have been. I love that. I love all of it. Um, thank you again so much for coming on and just being incredibly vulnerable. And I feel like insightful to so many things that we haven't necessarily discussed or different angles that we haven't discussed on the podcast. I know that like our listeners are going to love this episode and have so (laughs) many major takeaways so thank you yeah thank you so much it was such an honor I really appreciate it
another huge thank you to Case for coming on and talking talking with me about everything from you know how the brain works um to playing division one volleyball and ultimately retiring after you know an almost lifelong bite battle with an eating disorder and depression and what felt like everything in between um she truly is such a ray of sunshine and I know with talking with her I was able to ask a lot of questions that I myself hadn't ever you know been able to ask or learn about and I am just so grateful that she came on and she shared her story and shared her thoughts and I hope that you all enjoyed the episode. If you want to follow Case, you can follow her on Instagram at Case Boland. You can also follow Morgan's Message at Morgan's Message and The Mental Matchup at The Mental Matchup. Another huge thank you to Morgan's Message for presenting the podcast and with that we will see you next episode.